three. Brought to you by the good folks at FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This is KYT. I'm joined by Robert Lombardi and Vince D'Agostino. How's it going, guys? Life's good, KYT. What's up? Happy to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a fantastic show. People are really hyped to hear Rob go, go off, completely off, because, of course, today was the much-anticipated uh, banning announcement. And around, I expected it to be at 11 a.m., but they ended up posting it around 10.30, uh, For I don't know for whatever reason. They just did it earlier. And no changes in standard, no changes in modern. Sensei's Dividing Top is banned in Legacy, which uh, I'm not too surprised because uh, I think his name is pronounced Eli Cassis. Some re- Legacy regular picked up uh, Miracles and won an SEG, and he said that. Uh, Top should be banned, so not too surprised there. Uh, vintage, the Taxian Probe is restricted. Gush is restricted. Effective date, April 24th, which is today. And it's also effective immediately on Magic Online. So the big news for us, because we expected some sort of news in standard, some changes, whether it be, of course, for color Sahili. That's, that's more of the target now than more to vehicles, which has fallen uh, to clearly the second place behind Four Colors Sahili, no changes in standard. Robert, let's start with you. Were you surprised? What was your first reaction? So, I mean, to your earlier point about them posting it early, I don't think they accidentally did it. I think they honestly don't know how to time their updates. Because, like, if you were refresh their main page, it wasn't, it wasn't visible, right? But if you were, like, Google search for it, <laughs> or you, like, typed in the URL, like, what the... Because they have, like, a specific formatting about you know, what the, the URL will look like. If you just type that in, then you get access to the information. So, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it wasn't an accident. It's just kind of like an oversight, which they do pretty much uh, every time. Um, so they, they should straighten that out because uh, people do get access to that information early, and it does affect things. <laughs> and it's pretty easy to stop that from happening. <laughs> Anyways, um, as far as the standard banings go, I was going to be annoyed either way. Uh, because they didn't post it last Monday and was just like, you know, wasting a bunch of people's uh, time thinking about two formats where only one is actually going to exist. But this is like the worst case scenario that could have came out of this announcement was just nothing unbanned, nothing banned, which is like just so absolutely ludicrous to think that uh, Sahili combo is okay for standard. So I was curious what they said about um, Splinter Twin when they ban Twin. And I'll just, like, read an excerpt from that, <laughs> uh, from that the, uh, banning announcement. So, we also look for decks that hold a large enough percentage of the competitive field to reduce the diversity of the format. So, like, at this time, Twin was, like, I don't know, 15 to 20% of the GP metagame, like, at, at its absolute uh, highest, whereas, like, Sahili is... And close to like 35% or something like that, I think, near where the format ended. Um, or at, very, at the very least, it was very close to 30. So it, it won a bunch of events. Um, so that Antonio won with, uh, at PT Favor Forged. Uh, Yelger finished third. Twin won two of the four modern PTs. Uh, Twin reached the top eight of the last six modern Grand Prix. The last modern Grand Prix in Pittsburgh had three Twin decks in top eight, including the winning list. 
whoa, <laughs> does any of this information sound familiar? It's like decks that are this strong can hurt diversity by pushing the decks that it defeats out of competition. It can also reduce like uh, variety in how you choose to build um, decks in those colors. So this is exactly the problem we have with Sahili Combo in Standard, yet they seem to think it's okay there, but it definitely wasn't okay in Modern. And the answers we have are better in Modern. Um, it wasn't overly oppressive. It was just good in the hands of very good pilots. Uh, and there, there are lots of different ways to combat that strategy in Modern. Um, so I, I don't know. It just... I feel that they made... <laughs> as I don't know where the line is. Like, this is the problem. Like, when... Like, Copter's good enough to get banned, but this combo isn't. So uh, everything they do just makes no sense to me until <laughs> until further notice, I guess. It's just, I don't know, Vince, where, where, where are you at on this? <laughs> I mean, I think, no, I'm not, I'm not going to even try to say that the bans, the lack of bans was correct. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that this is a problem situation in Standard, and they're just trying to say that, well, we've printed enough good cards in uh, Amonkhet that deal with the combo, therefore it should be fine. But th- the problem with that answer, which is the one that I think they gave on, the, on, their, on their report, is that if all of your answers are mediocre and aren't good enough individually to actually deal with the cat combo, none of them become relevant. You need answers. If you're going to keep a combo like this in standard, you need powerful answers. Things that people would want to play regardless, things that are incredibly proactive and cheap. And they haven't really done that with any of the cards that they printed in Amonkhet. So um, when I saw what they were printing in this set, I was kind of thinking to myself, oh, wow, they're actually not going to ban Cat. They've clearly put all of these weird try like stop gaps in Amonkhet to try to deal with the Cat combo. But obviously, I think anyone with half a brain can realize that none of them are good enough. Um, so yeah, I think the banning, or the lack of banning was really bad. I also think it's especially weird. I mean, you made the point about about how if you look at Twin and Modern, it's almost identical to Sahili and Standard right now. I think one of the differences there is that Watsi probably cares a lot more about deck diversity in Modern than they do in Standard, or at least they should, because the pool of cards is so much larger that you would expect more decks to be viable, or you would at least hope that more decks would be viable. So I can kind of give them a little bit of credence there, but regardless, if you just look to the bands in Standard, and you were kind of alluding to this earlier, like, they banned Reflector Mage and Copter and Emrakul, and they didn't ban this combo. Like, what, what are we supposed to expect? There's no precedent for what when a situation is bad enough to ban a card. We have no idea when to expect bans. We have no idea how powerful a card needs to be in a format to be banned, because evidently Smuggler's Copter was powerful enough to be banned. Reflector Mage was somehow powerful enough to be banned. Even Emrakul isn't as powerful as this combo, I would argue, in Standard. And yet, they banned all three of those cards simultaneously and are not banning this card. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. I have no idea what they're thinking. Yeah, and further to your point, like, their argument, or Aaron Forsyth's argument anyways, was that, well, you know, we don't have all the data and we want to wait for the PT to see what happens. Then why did you ban those three cards before the PT last time? Why wouldn't you let Aether Revolt see if you needed to ban Emrakul, Copter, and Reflector Mage? Um, and, it, and I mean, like, I feel strongly that Reflector Mage was banned due to how powerful and annoying it was going to be with Cat. So if you want to preemptively get ahead of that one because it was going to be real stupid and everyone was very sure about it, then that's fine. What should have really been banned there? 
the cat, <laughs> obviously. The cat is the mistake, right? <laughs> so it's just, uh, it's just, it's so crazy. And, like, I see a lot of people on Twitter saying, like, to your point, you know, like, the new cards are, aren't good enough. But I see a lot of people saying, like, oh, there's so many more hate cards. Like, you have Manglehorn, you have all these other dumb things that you can do. So, like, we're just going to see what happens. Like, there should be something that, you know, that can work this out. The problem is that none of these hate cards are actually go into the strategies that the previous tier one decks wanted to play, which means you're now doing something you don't want to do to combat against a combo that's very hard to interact with, where like you're not going to be doing your your game plan anymore, right? And even cards that allowed you to play inside your game plan were not good enough to keep this combo in check. Like Mardu shifted in the in the kind of in I guess phase two of last standard where the Ballista version came out, they started playing more Thalias, and they started playing Ballista, and that gave it a strong edge in the four-color mirror, right? And that's when I was playing that deck at GP New Jersey, and I felt like uh, that deck was very well positioned. In the weeks after that, the Sahili list kind of shifted how they operated, and like now they were better. Like They, they found out a plan that was better against Mardu, even though Mardu had all these threats. So they had Anguish I'm making, they had Shock, they had... Um, Unlicensed Disintegration, Thalia, and Walking Ballista. They had Stasis Snare out of the board. They could move into a control deck. They could stay as an aggro deck. They could play a mid-range game. They could play sweepers. They could play on your turn. They could play on their turn. None of this mattered. It wasn't good enough. It's just like, what do you think is going to happen? You didn't print any cards that are better than Thalia. You didn't print any cards that are better than Anguish Unmaking. It's just like, uh, all of these things that do something when a card comes into play... Like, we already had authority of the consoles. This is, like, also not being played. It's not good enough. Uh, so the only thing that can happen is that one of the pros or pro teams builds a control deck that is very, very good against it somehow, even though the deck can, like, morph into a very value gamey uh, cyborg plan. Um, and that control deck also somehow keeps smarter vehicles in check. So it's probably some red-blue-based, uh, like, Grixis or Jeskai-based deck. Um, but I just, I don't think that that deck exists. <laughs> so they're kind of like throwing a Hail Mary pass to the, to the PT community and being like, please come up with something that beats four color so we don't look like idiots. That, that's basically what they're saying. That, that's the gamble they're taking. And I'm pretty sure that's a, that's a, a bet that I would not take. And it's a bet that they're going to lose. I'm oh, tilted, no. if you couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> are you? Are, are you really tilted? I mean... You just gotta work on your limited game at this point. So <laughs> that's my that's that's my plan. I'm I'm just gonna draft and play sealed uh, until after the first SCG event and see uh, what percentage of the top eight is four color decks. And I honestly hope it's a hundred percent. Then at least I know I'm just gonna build a deck that's trying to be good in the mirror. And I don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah, you and uh, misplaced ginger can just put your brains together and make the best list. <laughs> that's right. Well, I have the best four color Sahili player in the world on my testing team for the PT. So <laughs> we should be great, right? <laughs> Hopefully. I, I, you mentioned how this is a really, uh, both of you mentioned how it's like a similar situation. Then I just feel like we, we went back in time because it's very similar and they did something different. I do wonder if they regret their decision earlier of banning all those cards uh, because we were talking about like, hey, maybe Fatal Push would do something. Smuggler's Copter, we actually said that, hey, maybe they, they're not banning anything because of Fatal Push. And to me, it would have been interesting to see if people would play, like, the whole 
because Brian, he's on the show, he didn't like Heart of Kieran when we reviewed the card because he thought Smuggler's Copter uh, already had that home and that it was going to be hard to fit Heart of Kieran being legendary. And I'm curious what would have happened be- between those two and, and against each other, basically. Would Heart of Kieran been a good answer itself to, to shut down people trying to attack with three threes? But I guess we'll never get to see that. Um, so this is... Uh, yeah, that's the standard portion. Uh, for modern, if you look at, at the reasoning, they a lot of people were, I guess, rolling their eyes when Aaron said that in modern, Death Shadow continues to be the best deck, but technology like Condemn is starting to emerge. But we're not even sure if Condemn is being played in any of the top decks. Uh, how was your, what was your reaction to that statement, uh, Rob? So I actually... <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like, what deck is not playing Path that's playing Condemned to battle against Death Shadow? Like, what kind of a stupid comment is that? Like, you already have Path and Fatal Push that are very good against Death Shadow, and then you have Abrupt Decay, which is also good against it, and some lists can play Maelstrom Pulse or whatever. There's other ways to deal with, with Death Shadow, right? Condemn is by far the worst possible answer, uh, because it's a card that you, like, when they play Death Shadow, you can't interact with it immediately. You have to wait until they attack, which means they get to now untap, thought sees you, and they're playing eight of them. That card out of your hand, and the you can't cast it in response. So this is like, I mean, I agree that some of the blue-white decks can side uh, condemn against certain cards, like it's good against Worm Coil Engine and whatever, like cards like this, right? Um, it's probably better against like Titan decks than a path would be because you don't want them to get an extra mountain or whatever. But I, I don't know. And I guess it's probably not that good against the Titan deck because they're just going to attack you and get two, two lands anyways. So you're probably just dead if you're playing control against them. But I, I don't know. Like, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Like, I would, if they would have said that Fatal Push is becoming a stronger contender and we feel like other Jundi decks are going to, like, rise and push that deck out or, like, some Grixis control decks, now that they have Fatal Push instead of, like, just Bolt and Terminate, he feels like that, that's a reason that, you know, those decks can keep uh, Death Shadow and checked, and that would make sense, but using Condemn as a reason is just, like, completely ludicrous. And if they're basing their data on that, then uh, we have, like, a lot of bigger problems <laughs> in Magic R&D, and we should uh, be ready for a bumpy ride in 2017. That's already been a little bit of a roller coaster, and I, I, don't, I don't see things getting better if that's how they're making decisions. <laughs> yeah, I, I just... But you you were playing Abzan before, right? You Abzan, you were a proponent of that. Do you see yourself yeah. like slipping in some condemns? No, I mean I would play uh, probably any number of Blessed Alliance before I would play the first condemn. And if you said Blessed Alliance, this would also be a reasonable thing to say. Like I think that card is good, uh, and it's good against Death Shadow in for the most part, right? But it's like there's just no way condemns the answer. <laughs> Tech like condemn. Uh, it's just, uh, it hurts my head. I don't know. I, I don't really know the oppressiveness of that deck, truly, in the format. I think uh, it was kind of a popular deck before. A lot of people had those cards, and it became uh, more popular after the bannings. It was built in a very interesting way that would have appealed to a lot of different players. So players that liked the Jundi builds, Abzan builds, they could migrate to it. People that already liked the Abzan uh, or sorry, the Death Shadow Zoo type deck would also just migrate to it as well. And there's people that like to do something very different that hasn't really been done in the format for, right? Like, so using Traverse Package to tutor up some sweet stuff and play a value game, it's kind of interesting. Like, the deck's going to appeal to them too. 
So I think it's kind of at its the height of its popularity um, right now, or like through the last couple months. Um, and people probably haven't really been focused on how to beat it. There's also not been a lot of events where people care about trying to figure out um, how to beat it, right? Like, I, I don't know, modern high-level magic has seemed to be waning uh, in terms of wizards providing places to, to play that at. Um, it's been a lot of standard um, last season. Uh, so it's, I don't know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, not very happy about what they're doing. <laughs> well, let's let's move on. I'm sure we, we can basically fill in many episodes with, with our thoughts of whether there should be a ban or not, especially with early SCG results, with the PT results that uh, Rob, hopefully he'll he'll take it down with four colors. So he'll be in the top eight, that's what we're hopeful for. Uh, the other thing that was, there were a bunch of changes that were announced. One was a rules one. So I'm just going to read the, the snippet, which was... Uh, a change that was a reaction to um, the, the crewing at the, at the beginning of combat or saying combat uh, by Tian Nguyen against, uh, I forget who, who he was against, but it was at the last PT. And uh, the, the new change is if the active player passes priority during the first main phase, the non-active player is assumed to be acting in beginning of combat unless they are affecting how or whether beginning of combat ability triggers. However, if the non-active player takes no action, the active player has priority at the beginning of combat. Beginning of combat triggered abilities, even ones that target, may be announced after any non-active player action has resolved. Vince, did you understand this one when you first read it? Like, I, I so completely did not understand it. And then, like, you guys know, I, I think five people had to explain it to me in different ways for me to try to understand it. And then you just said it again, and I don't understand it again. Like, that's how ludicrously confusing this rule changes. I don't even understand, like, there's some minor implications, I guess, with, like, beginning of combat, whether you would, like, like, with a cryptic command, if you would tap their board and they have, like, a muta vault. And there's all these weird side scenarios where it might come up. But, like, what a horrible way to explain this ruling with, like, the most jargony like magic judge rulesy no one knows what this means just give me an example where it's like okay in this case the current rules would say this would happen but now with the new rules this is how it would happen that's something that magic players understand because they play the game they don't make rules for the game so i i still don't fully understand what this rule change is and it's purely because they did a horrible job explaining what's going on and i feel bad for everyone else and I hope I'm not the only one that's confused about this because I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I, I felt like they needed, like you said, a, a quick little game situation to not feel like too long didn't read for, for many of us. Rob, what was your take? After, after reading and having talking with you guys in the group that we have, uh, I, I do understand the rule now, though, completely. I, I still don't understand <laughs> what message you're trying to get across. At the very least, the verbiage they've used is not intuitive. I think what they're what it basically says is that if you pass priority and your opponent does something, it's assumed that they've done it and begin combat unless they tell you otherwise. Uh, which is uh, no change from the previous way that uh, things worked. But then if they don't do anything, um, it's assumed that you're in begin combat now is is that correct 
Yeah, if they take no action, the active player, like you, has priority at the beginning of combat. Right, okay, so they just, like, retracted their entire way that they were dealing with the shortcut previously, which they're super adamant about uh, just one pro tour ago. And so instead, saying combat now brings you to the beginning of combat instead of to declare attackers, which is really all they needed to say then, if that's what the change was. Because <laughs> uh, everything else is the same. <laughs> is that really what it is? It's what it sounds like. Before, if you said combat, you were in declare attackers, right? Right. Uh, now it sounds like if you say combat, uh, I mean, your opponent can still do things, and then they can tell you what phases are doing them in, since you've gone to beginning of combat. But, yeah, I guess you're by saying combat, you're giving them first priority in, I don't know, it's still kind of weird uh, now that I think about it, but it's fine, because it probably doesn't matter in, like, 100% of cases, so that seems reasonable. It's weird that your opponent is, in this scenario, this shortcut, your opponent's the most likely to get first priority in begin combat. <laughs> So you're kind of like switching who has first go uh, with this method, right? Because if they do something, that means that they've uh, they've done it in in begin combat if they want to, which means they did something first there. Uh, whereas if they don't do anything, then you get priority. So they're actually passing priority to you in begin combat. I feel it. I mean, that's all assuming that I've read this stupid verbiage correctly, <laughs> which is like fifty fifty. <laughs> I do think that's what it means, which, um, I mean, to me, it's, it seems weird because that's not how all the other phases work, right? You usually have to pass priority first. So, so this part, it's them. And Reed Duke himself tweeted, a new combat procedure will advantage angle shooters and make the game tedious for precise, honest players. I hate it at Toby Elliott. Uh, because he doesn't like uh, his other tweet. I don't like that you can say combat to hope your opponent jumps a gun, then you activate your man lads in beginning of combat. Because you can get them to cryptic command first. You're like, okay, combat, they cryptic command, and then you're like, okay, activate my man lands because now I have priority and I go to attack you. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm probably right then. Like this, the, the, the non-active player has, has first priority in beginning of combat now. That's essentially what's happened. <laughs> uh. At least we know before the PT, <laughs> not during. <laughs> so that's upside, right? <laughs> uh, well, I think BBD his initial impression was that he liked the change. Uh, Kai, Kai is like think the change is great, exactly how it should be. And David Williams agrees with Kai because I guess they, it avoids all that stuff. And and I guess to you, uh, like you said, Rob, it, it might affect such a small percentage that you don't really care. Is yeah, like, I'm not going to use this uh, to try and angle shoot my opponent, and I know the game well enough that I'm not going to let my I'm not going to fall to a trap that my opponent's trying to set for me. Um, so I'm I mean it doesn't affect me in any way. I can see like uh, that F and M hero type player trying to get newer players, uh, you know, with this at a at an LGS or something. Um, you know, like that person that's like always three oneing, four oing, but like when they go to a GP, they're like never day twoing. Like, that's the guy that's going to use this <laughs> to, to get someone who's trying to learn the rules uh, so he can keep his, his uh, alive or whatever. But I don't know. I feel like it's just cleaner to assume when you say combat, you mean beginning of combat. And when you say attackers, you mean declare attackers. Since those phases have those words in them, it seems very clear. And there's no ambiguity. 
so yeah, that's Case probably where, the, where we'll end up, I guess. <laughs> We've been known to prophesy some things here before. <laughs> but, yes, we have. So <laughs> it'll be interesting if something comes up. If there's, you know, it's this is to prevent angle shooting, but we can see it how it can encourage some angle shooting in a different way. So hopefully, there's not some other crazy uh, controversy at the next PT. Um, On to the fact that most people seem to be happy, and we were, uh, as a whole crew, that MTGO was going to come out with a new set on Monday. Like, it's so good that Vincent already jumped in. And I just wanted to quickly read Willie Edel's uh, tweet. Maybe I got I to gotta dig it up here. Because he mentioned how he wasn't used to. I wonder if, Vince, did you get to exerts today? I did. It was kind of unexpected the way Moto deals with exert. I was not expecting it to be basically for those who haven't used it yet when you attack with a creature on moto you either attack or you attack with exert it's kind of like i don't know if you guys ever play with madness but it's similar to that experience where you either discard a card or discard it with madness so it happens almost before you attack which and i expected it to be when the creature turns sideways the trigger shows up would you like to exert it so that was kind of confusing for me to get used to Okay. Willie was saying his first Omnikin draft, I click attack with all. Supposed to be a lethal attack, but didn't have the chance to to exert and lost. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Small details. Small details. Wizards misses on sometimes. That's a pretty brutal one, though. Uh, But do you think, like, it's just a matter, do you, like, hate it overall, or do you think it's just a matter of getting used to that? I mean, I don't know if it's something that realistically, they could fix it if they want to. They could code in some kind of thing where if you attack with all creatures and you have creatures that have the keyword exert, it just says, would you like to exert X? Would you like to exert Y? Would you like to exert Z? Like, they could do that if they want to. I don't see why they wouldn't beyond the fact that, A, they might not know how, and B, it might take them too much time. Um, but, Look, yeah. I, I, this is easy to code in software. I'll, I'll give you that much. Yeah, it's, it's just a state. It's a state. When the card becomes tapped and attacking, you just have a prompt that says, would you like to exert or not? They're just uh, implemented it poorly. That's all. This is just a bad user, user experience that they've designed. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not easy to fix. You misunderstood me. I said it easy for wizards to fix. That's a very different animal. The easy to fix and easy for wizards to fix are not the same thing. Anyway, um, do I imagine they're going to change it? If enough people complain about it, probably. Um, attack with all creatures, don't use it that much anyway. I, like, try not to use shortcuts like that if you can avoid it. Because <laughs> things happen and you're just like, why did I do that? It's like using F6 at the wrong time. You just want just to throw Moto out the window when you do it. So I try to avoid doing it anyway. Um, I, guess it, I guess I think I see enough complaints on, on Twitter that it wasn't intuitive to, to begin with, that they had to like tweet Magic Online interface tip even. Normal versus exert attacks or separate items as you choose attackers. Don't use attack with all if you want to exert. So, and then people are like, what? Why wouldn't they do that? It blows my mind that this wasn't their first instinct. So a lot of uh, negative reaction. Rob, you wanted to final, final words on this? Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, they just need to... I agree with Vince. I'm sorry, Vince. I forgot that you were talking about Watsi's ability to fix problems and design correctly, not the average person. They still have um, 
a damage sound effect and visual when you gain life. So the easiest thing you could change, and uh, it still exists. <laughs> so I don't know. I also noticed that uh, the aftermath cards, like the split cards, they show up as uh, old school, like a normal split card. They're side by side uh, instead of like side and then 90 degree rotation, which is, it was kind of weird uh, looking at them that way. As I didn't expect it. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly why they did that, which means that they could have just printed them normal in paper uh, and they didn't. So I don't know why they did, <laughs> did the old frame in Moto unless they just uh, redirected to the wrong frame incorrectly when they launched the release and they just kind of forgot to swap that or something. I don't know. It's just very peculiar. I feel like it works in digital uh, just as well as it works in paper, which I think it's not great, but uh, it's no worse. But they chose to do it anyways. Lots of suspicious things going on this year. Lots of suspicious things. (laughs) I actually think that was a good decision they made to make Aftermath cards not be templated the same way as they are in paper. Because I think that's one of the advantages of Moto is that, like, I don't have to read a card at 90 degrees anymore. I can look at a card on face value and just have two face-up cards. And when I zoom in on it, it's big enough and I can read it all. Um, but the default, Vince, for the cards is that they're both rotated 90 degrees now. And no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have to open up Moto now and figure it out. <laughs> I, had well, a, weird. <laughs> I had Mouth to Feed or whatever it's called. I don't know what that card is. It makes a, it's like, makes a 3-3 and then you can draw some cards. And they're both sideways. And I was like, what is this card? I've never seen this. And I was like, oh, they just used the old uh, frame, I guess. But, I mean, to your argument, um, yeah, when you zoom in, even if they had the new frame, they could present it uh, both full card frames side by uh, each or yeah, whatever, that's right? Fair. That's fair. I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Things are just crazy. <laughs> There's a lot of sloppiness going on. Okay. Uh, on the topic of Exert, like, we, we each, actually, all three of us ended up playing uh, a number of pre-releases. I only actually played in one. I'll just go first. Um, I went 3-1 at uh, Face-to-Face Games in Montreal. Um, I think that, um, you know, it was, the mechanics were just like, all right. Uh, my first impression was like, uh, I was messaging these guys in our Facebook uh, private chat that immediately I felt uh, what I, I think is probably common sense, I guess, is that two twos are really just, like a lot of two drops are really garbage to me just because, there's a lot of ground guys that have involved, like the 3-2 Vigilance guy was playing him and just happy to trade him and bring him back for value, making like a lot of the early weaker guys really crappy. And I didn't like uh, Embalm and just not having the token that I needed. So we were just like, some people were just like turning it face down. Some people were like, put, like just putting the actual card, but putting Embalm on it but then they might forget where it goes after the graveyard or whatever. So I think ideally I would have liked, I don't know if that's even possible, if Watsi would have just put in the pre-release pack itself some of the tokens, maybe, uh, instead of like even the dice, like who cares? Uh, Just some of the (laughs) embalmed tokens because we're going to be using them and I don't want, I just want to play like my first experience of the set to be as clean as possible. And... Outside of that, I'm just looking forward to making slowish decks. Actually, I tried, but then 
tested against my friend in his pool, and he came out with like the greediest three color uh, Naya exert deck with all these green cards that and tapped his exert dude so that the drawback of him having to exert was lessened. It just seemed really, really, really impressive. And the only two drops that he played were like only the good ones, the two, two white guy that when you exert, it becomes a three, three flyer or the green one with like three minus one minus one counters. But if you attack with it, it you remove a minus one minus one counter and you gain a life. So it's just like really aggressive and with cards that really took advantage of exert. And I think that's the way that I want to draft. I was so impressed by that approach and how aggressive all these exert, like the, he also had the red guy when you exert target creature can't block. And not only that, that guy, that dude has haste. So that was my first impression. Vince, did I say any garbage stuff or, or do you share any of my thoughts? <laughs> no, I'm with you on a lot of it, actually. I think, my initial expectation of exert as a mechanic was that it was going to be more of an interesting, like I need to make a decision with how I use my creatures, but exert really feels in this format a lot, like just combo with all the untapped cards in the format because they printed like a lot of them. Like I think there's three commons that untap creatures and an uncommon, like there's just a lot of cards that allow you to cheat exert. So really, your deck choices just become, I want X number of Exert creatures and all of my combat tricks to untap my guys. And then you just have this unfair curve deck that like plays four fours for two and just goes off real, real crazy. Um, yeah, I think the format, I was not expecting it to be as bomb-heavy as, as uh, my experiences have been with it. I think um, because the removal isn't as prevalent i guess you could say good creatures will stick around and if you happen to have a good one you're probably winning the game especially if they fly i don't know i just haven't been able to to figure out a way to beat bombs it's i mean it's sealed it's gonna happen but um i think it's a really fun format though and i've i've been enjoying it so far and one thing i actually really liked about uh the packs i was opening is i think they finally figured out how to do full art lands in a set I like the idea that they're in the set, but it's not they're not everywhere. You get I think it's like one in five packs will have a full art land. That's the way full art land should be. They should still feel exciting. They should still feel like, oh cool, I got something different, but not be like in every pack and then worth five cents by the end of the, the set and then go up to three dollars a year later. I just I think this is the correct way to do full art lands and I hope they do this in the future. Um I was super against those really dumb token cards they were putting in that had the perforations. You could get like little minus one minus one counters. I actually used them, which I was surprised about. Um, the exert one was useful. The little minus one minus one counters helped, so that was nice. Um, I did make the mistake of using an embalm token for my embalm creature and uh, embalm the guy and put it back in my graveyard. So the thing I said bad players were going to do, I did. So that worked out really well for me. Um, Moto. Other than the delays it took for them to get online, like that never has never made sense to me why they need to do a downtime when they release a set. Um, Moto's been good otherwise. I mean, I haven't had that experience of attacking with all my creatures and not exerting them. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with this format. I like the mechanics. I like the way it feels. Um, draft is definitely going to be more fun than sealed as usual because you won't have to just lose to a random bomb and feel bad about yourself. But yeah, I like this format. 
they, they have a downtime so that they can push their bug fixes and other stuff from their pre-production environment to, to production. So they've like tested it internally. They think it's good. So they just, it's like sitting on a server that's kind of like a mirror of prod and they bring everything down so they can migrate it over, bring it up, do a quick set of tests, make sure it's functional. And then that, that's the only reason why it has to go down for a bit. So okay, that they can push those server changes in. They can do that whenever they want. They no, no, like... You have to bring down, I mean, you either have to have a full production mirror uh, or uh, that you can hot swap or you have to bring it down and then like push your changes into it and then uh, bring it back up again. Otherwise, okay. weird stuff's going to happen. Like I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to maintain state in between, <laughs> in between games or whatever, right? Because well, you're like being a new cluster. My, my point is they have downtimes scheduled. Like for example, all of the assets for Amonkhet were installed a week before Amonkhet was released. So unless there was new bug changes that happened over the last six days that they needed to implement, it shouldn't be a problem. Well, I think they probably had scheduled downtime on Wednesday anyway, so they're not going to have now, I would assume. If they have scheduled downtime again on Wednesday, then yes. Yeah, <laughs> I assume they just pushed their weekly changes into the Monday update, since we'll they see. probably had to do some other stuff anyways. Uh, I would imagine they, they probably missed something, and they just wanted to get that in, and they used Monday as an excuse uh, to do it. But yeah, so anyways, in terms of pre-releases, yeah, I played a couple uh, IRL. I'm like two matches into a pre-release. I'm going to definitely go 05 in uh, online. <laughs> my deck has one piece of removal, and that removal is really bad. So uh, my pool actually has one piece of removal, and that removal is really bad. So I'm um, looking to get crushed there. But uh, I actually really had a different experience than you guys. I uh, really valued the two drops, <laughs> uh, even though they... they interact uh, unfavorably with uh, some of the embalm value. I think like you needed to get on the board early uh, and be able to, to apply some pressure. And like, there's so many three drops that if you miss your third land drop and don't do anything on turn two, you're just like way, way, way behind, especially to exert, right? Like very similar to vehicles where like if your opponent gets the leg up, then you're just, you know, you're going to get ranched. And if they're attacking you with their exert creatures without having to exert them, you're in a really bad spot because that means like, your board presence isn't even good enough to compete with their bad cards, and they can all just turn them into, like, haymakers uh, at a moment's notice, right, and, and kind of end the game. Um, and then as far as those perforated tokens, I thought they were very annoying and tedious. They were, like, all over the table, the store. People were leaving them. It was like people were just opening packs in between rounds, just leaving their garbage everywhere. Like, that's what it was like every round. There's just, like, stuff all over everyone's table, all over the mats, all over the place. And I think... Uh, the thing I dislike the most is the exert mechanic and the exert token. So I saw people using the exert token and then forgetting to remove it on their turn because the creature's like gone through an untapped step, and then having an argument about with their opponent the next turn about whether or not that creature oh my God. Like, did it attack? I don't remember. I don't think I attacked with it. It's like, but you put the token on it, and it's like, oh, I don't know. Am I supposed to remove it on my turn? Like. When is it not exerted anymore? <laughs> and then there was also people that were attacking and saying it was exerted and not using the token and then either, you know, forgetting that it, it should stay tapped. So it was just like, I don't know, kind of weird both ways. Uh, but in terms of the mechanics design, there's just like way too much to keep track of that is not straightforward to keep track of or like people are not used to keeping track of it. Like I don't think that the, um, like the interesting game choices are worth the mechanics complexity to the board state, right? Because you now have to put this token on it when you attack, 
you have to take it off during your untap step, uh, and then you need to remember that that happened the next turn so that your opponent can't like try and have an argument with you about whether or not it was actually exerted. So it's just like, I, I feel like it's very bad for new players, and they're going to screw it up probably quite a bit. Maybe by the end of the set, it'll be okay. But it's just, it's also a way that like, you know, scumbags can, can try and scum uh, newer players by like just purposefully not putting the token on and pretending like, oh, they forgot or something. So yeah, I don't know. Like mechanics like monstrous are fine. Because like it's a one-time thing, it happens. It's permanently like that for the rest of the game. So if these did something like that, uh, that would be better. But this like every other turn kind of. I mean, I guess if you guys have the nutty decks like you were talking about, where you just untap your creatures every turn, then it's not really a big deal. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not really a fan of the mechanic from just a like tracking garbage that doesn't need to be tracked. Usually, perspective. It's just kind of a. A pain in the butt. But other than that, I think the format looks pretty good. I think the draft format's going to be good. Uh, but I haven't had a chance to do it myself. But the uh, the color pair uh, interactions seem sweet. Um, and I did almost have a five-color trial deck uh, in Sealed. But I, I only played three. Because <laughs> I didn't have an Evolving Wild. But it was close. And three was good enough. I had two trials and two cartouches. And I got to live the dream. A lot of the dreams. It was It was great. They are very powerful. I hope that that deck is a deck that you can actually draft. So I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that one. Okay. I mean, all the cartouches are, are pretty good. Yeah, that they're at least, least like, passable as a 23rd card at worst. Yeah, or, like, some of the ones are, like, the black one that I, I really like, or the blue one. Uh, Vincent? What? The green one's the good one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, the, tra- the trap will fun one. Yeah, bomb, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, the, it's, too, it's so bomb, I think it's, like, a rare. But uh, <laughs> it's... Yeah, like... Uh... It seems like I, I I've never understood like how they print Hunt the Week and then like in the next set they print a better Hunt the Week for one less mana at common. They're just like yeah, that's fine, whatever. It also synergizes with Trials, whatever. Don't worry about it. It's just that that confuses me. Maybe they don't care about that kind of stuff. But just to some of the points Rob was making about um, Exert, I mean, like, do you hate Frost Breath too? Do you hate Sleep? Do you hate every mechanic? It's just, it's just not something that comes up like every turn. Like, Exert is, like, on a lot of cards, right? So, like, some of these guys are exerted, these guys aren't, these guys are exerted, and both players are doing this a lot. With Frost Press and the card Sleep, Sleep doesn't matter, right? You cast it, and then you just kill your opponent. Uh, so the fact that they're, like, they, you just know their whole board's staying tapped, right? And there's no advantage to be gained, and both people are going to make sure that, or at least one person's going to make sure that the other one is, is doing it properly, right? So if you cast Frost Press, you're going to make sure your opponent doesn't untap their cards. It's something you're going to watch out for. But with Exert, it's a little bit, like, the information is a little bit more lost, right? It's not exactly clear. There's not a spell in the graveyard that tells you, like, this definitely happened. Um, if you put the token on, you can, you remember it happened, but that token's, like, coming on and off the battlefield so often throughout a game that it, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's a little bit a little bit more wonky. I understand what you're saying, but if they printed, like, if every blue card had Frostbeth ability in a set, then, yeah, I would feel the same way. But if it's, like, just one... Uh, then I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. That's fair. Um, another kind of side note, I guess, is a lot of the problems that we seem to be having recently are like friction with paper versus digital magic. Like we were just complaining about, you know, this this rules change that they were mentioning, and that is completely irrelevant if you're playing Moto, right? Because it's going to handle everything for you. And then the same with Exert, right? If you're going to exert a creature on Moto, it'll keep track of it for you. So that's just one of those weird issues magic has when you compare it to other tcgs in terms of uh 
you know, managing rules on a, on a digital and paper front. Um, also, another side note about this limited format is hopefully in the next couple of days, this is me forcing Rob to do this with me soon. Um, we're going to try to get a, uh, a set review out where we're going to talk about all the individual cards for everyone in the nation. So make sure to keep your eyes peeled for that if you're in that. Ooh. Yeah, we've like graded all the cards already in a spreadsheet. We just haven't been able to actually um, sit down for eight hours or whatever and record everything. And that's mostly been because Montreal and Toronto have been on separate days, each, each on a different day uh, when they were playing. But now they're both eliminated. So now we both have like quite a bit of free time in the evening. So we should be able to get it done this week and get it out. <laughs> the, the Habs, sh- shockingly to me, were eliminated. The Leafs, uh, I'm, I think, really excited about uh, their future. Um, Rob, you, you had mentioned how you had crap removal in your pool. I think my impression just after one pre-release was just that this feels similar to a set they've done in the past where all the removal is really i guess they've been doing this a lot now maybe more than just that set that i have in mind where the removal is really expensive you have like electrify which is like three four damage for four mana and have three copies of final strike i believe that's the card um final reward rather uh instant exile target creature feel like against a really fast deck that might be too slow, even though, like, you know, it's a. I'm like, I love this card, gets rid of embalmed creatures forever, but most of my removal felt really slow. And again, I'm, I'm seeing myself drafting uh, a really aggressive exert deck. And I think two drops are important. I think what I'm wanted to say is like, I value the really good ones really highly. Like, the common, the two two that becomes a three three one, he flies like that guy is probably like really important because. Most of the other two, like he, he doesn't have to trade with a dumb ground guy. Because I had basically yeah. my deck had the mummyless, uh, the bl- binding mummy. I had two copies of that two two, and you know, it was great when I was able to use its ability to tap something. But other than that, it was just like it. It was only a matter of time before it was um, it was irrelevant. And versus the Gust Walker, that's what it's called, the Gust Walker. That card. It's sweet. So, <laughs> well, what do you think of my assessment that like most removal is expensive? Yeah, they're they've like kind of been going on this trend, and they're trying to figure out like where the line is. Like in Kaladesh block, it was a little bit better. Like you saw the black removal um, was like two BB sorcery kill something as uh, kill anything essentially, right? Uh, including a vehicle, which was like very important to have uh, in that set, even though that card wasn't like insane it was very fair for a common i think the five mana instant one is probably just not quite good enough to be considered premium um and that's probably not where you want your your black base removal to be i think like if you're in black one of the draws of the color should be that the the removal should be better than every other color but i don't um i'm like trying to think in the set like if there's anything even great at common or uncommon, and I don't think there is. Um, and that actually, like maybe like green or red have the best removal uh, in the set, which is kind of weird. And I know like you have a pendulum and you want to move things around, but like black is the color of death and killing things, and like it doesn't get huge creatures. It's not super efficient in a lot of the things it's trying to do. 
but it should have the best removal, right? This is like the draw to the color so that like your crappy two twos for two and, and like two threes for three or whatever can still get in there because like you're just able to out-tempo your opponent by removing their bombs and following up with a, a, a cheap threat or something, right? So yeah, I, I don't know. Like I think this one's probably a miss on the removal um, altogether. Um, but I think that we'll see it kind of come back uh, next year. And hopefully they found like the right equilibrium. Like I feel like black should have a four mana destroy target creature type card or whatever, or like uh or even like grasp of darkness, like this is fine, something like that, or like a dismember that doesn't have Phyrexian mana. Like I don't care what it is, but um it, it should be cheap and it should be able to mostly remove like uh anything your opponent can play in the first five turns at least, right? Uh, otherwise, like yeah, black's probably taking a quite of a bit of a beating. Uh, this setup, I guess, like red and green seem to be uh, the two colors you wanna you wanna be jamming. But we'll see what happens when I get twenty or thirty drafts under my belt. If I still have that opinion, <laughs> yeah, I, I have that opinion just by getting wrecked. And I actually got beat. I, I thought of you when I got beaten by Glory uh, Glory Bringer in, in in my one loss. Um, you mentioned green. Yeah, the card I was talking about was like Exemplar of Strength. Really impressed by it. Felt like I, I needed. A premium removal spell against it, or else it was going to get out of control. And was even impressed by just getting my face beaten by Crocodile of the Crossing, just a four mana five four with haste. I'm just like, holy crap! This dude is big, and I'm going to have to use my final reward to kill it. And if he has another bomb, I'm screwed. So it makes sense, right? Like if the removal starts getting worse, green just inherently starts getting better because it has the best creatures, right? So if the other colors can't deal with the insane threats presented by green, then just playing fatties every turn uh, is is like a, a better strategy uh, than trying to do anything else. But I don't know. We'll see if this the other synergies um, end up being stronger. But I know I played green based decks at both of my three releases, and I went three uh, one and three o one, and I saw a lot of people at the top tables playing green based decks as well. Um, hmm. So it looks like a deep color, uh, anyways. I'm also playing green in my crappy pre-release that I'm in online. <laughs> and my green cards are pretty good. My black cards are pretty bad. <laughs> um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this show up soon, but we're gonna hit some quick topics. Uh, one of which is uh, one of your opinion on, on this, guys. We'll start with Vince if he thinks it was fun. If it's funny, if he caught it on Twitter today, where someone got caught posting. <laughs> This tweet, um, has anyone ever actually been denied reimbursement on MTGO? Half the time, I'm straight up lying, and I always get my money back. And uh, Watsi had seen this post, and I think Aaron Forsyth even replied to it, and I think is taking action. <laughs> and while well, this guy is like subsequently deleted his tweet. <laughs> and then his <laughs> next tweet is like, his next tweet is like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Well, at least he's aware of it. I mean, like <laughs> that—that's unreal. I'm—I'm I'm glad you caught that because that. I mean, man, you can. There are so many things that happen on Moto that allow you to reimburse successfully. Why would you ever say you're lying about why you should be reimbursed like that? That's—that's that's a really silly thing to say. I mean, he fully deserves to be banned. Like you're. That's committing fraud. Like it's just legit fraud. It's not even. It's not even joke fraud. Like it's just real fraud. <laughs> Probably shouldn't shouldn't admit to that on a public forum. 
Um, but yeah, in all honesty, I mean, you can, and I'm not, I'm not encouraging this and for people to do this, but I think Wizards is fully aware of the strengths and weaknesses, and I'll focus on weaknesses of their client, and they're fully prepared to reimburse people who say very little about what happened with their games. Like I, I know I've had experiences where I've auto mulliganed to six. I've had experiences where I've submitted a deck and round one starts and I have an 80 card deck. I've had drafts where, you know, the round's supposed to start and literally just doesn't go to round one and I lose after 10 minutes. There's plenty of things that happen on Moto that uh, are reimbursement worthy. The only one that probably isn't is I didn't like that I lost and I want my money back. So good on that guy for his honesty. Too bad he's probably not playing Magic Online for a while. I, I want to correct myself. Uh, it wasn't Aaron Force. I was Lee Sharp. I just found the tweet. Um, filing false reimbursement claims can lead to actions being taken against your account. And then in parentheses, also, we can read Twitter, hashtag Watsy staff. And I know for a fact that they're not, they don't look for specific hashtags. I know they have, I don't know who's doing it on their side, but for sure they have some social media uh, tool, whether it's Hootsuite or, or some of these things and they are just like searching mtgo mtg i'm on cat and reading what the community is talking about so on twitter don't feel like only your followers can see what you're tweeting for sure people are just typing words and especially wizards and they're reading if it's any magic word that you use someone is likely reading your tweets um rob did you find it super funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> like how dumb do you have to be to do that? <laughs> like probably uh, one of the, the more obvious mistakes you can make to get yourself in trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, he obviously deserves whatever punishment he gets. Uh, and I guess I'm semi-glad that he came out and now Watsi will take more action to prevent this in the future, which means they'll be losing less money for no reason which hopefully means that they can redirect those extra funds to something useful, like changing the game sound when you lose life, or gain life, sorry, to something that sounds like it. <laughs> or anything, I don't know. <laughs> Reskidding the client. <laughs> please, please. I'm sure this is a, a very, um, like, this is a problem for them, for sure. I think lots of people are, are probably doing this. Um, you see lots of people rage quitting. Uh, I've had my opponents tell me that they're just going to time out. They don't care uh, because I got lucky and drew like my one outer against them. And then they just, they, they tell me that they're going to file reimbursement anyways. <laughs> and then they just time me out <laughs> or like, sorry, time themselves out and waste like 10 minutes of my time. So it's like, <laughs> uh, I assume that they're obviously getting their money back. <laughs> Since apparently this works. Um, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Um, I forgot to ask you during our, our modern banning discussion, uh, whether, have you still continued to play KCI, Clark, Clark Clan, Ironworks? Because that's, well, that's what Dexter Heen thought should have been, that's a component to be banned. And yeah, I, guess I, I have been playing it. Yeah, I've been playing it uh, just a little bit, though, uh, just because like, there's nothing going on in standard and drafting or doing any limited stuff was kind of useless after the online mocks events passed. Um, I don't think anything needs to be banned just yet. Uh, the deck is very good, or it can be very good. I definitely had turn two kills, um, but it's rare, and there's a lot of hate that people are already playing, 
because Affinity is a popular deck online. So whether or not this is true in real life, I'm not sure. Uh, it's kind of hard to get my hands on KCI, the card itself, <laughs> since it doesn't seem to be stocked at uh, any retailer in all of Canada. But um, uh, so I haven't been able to test that out. Uh, but definitely online, uh, I, it's not like I can just 5 uh on command uh, in a competitive uh, modern league. And there's a lot of decks that are just like jamming Rest in Peace and Stony Silence on turn two against me. And sometimes uh, the deck can fight through that, and sometimes it can't. Um, and, you know, those cards are, like, not dead against other matchups, right? Even they're still good against Tron, Dredge, Affinity, whatever. So uh, there's incentive to play them. So maybe the deck is just kept in check because the hate cards in Modern are strong enough. But if they if they have some other artifact that even interacts with the deck favorably in any way, I think it's probably going to be going to be very close. Uh, the, de- the deck's definitely powerful, if not difficult to play, but powerful. Hmm. All right. And my build was bad, and it, I was still doing very well, so. <laughs> Hopefully, we, like, uh, yeah, we had talk, uh, talked about if you have time after the PT or, or some point, I think people want to see you try to play that deck off the wall. Yeah, maybe I'll record a video. Uh, I'll record a video so we can post it. Yeah, that, that would be uh, that would be fun. I'll, I'll get Vince to come in. He can just yell at how awful I'm playing. I, I <laughs> watched him on. play it live. <laughs> I promise you it's suboptimal. I promise you it's suboptimal. What you need to do to get to the end of this game? I was like, I have four minutes left. I'm like, we're good. We're good here. <laughs> I've been practicing this a lot. And eye coordination needs to be like top notch. I could probably enter the semi pro circuit of, of StarCraft after jamming that deck for a few weeks. <laughs> Actually, I want to say one thing about bands that we didn't mention earlier as well. The The one legacy band that I think is kind of not not hugely discussion worthy because it's legacy, but just I want to make a note about it. Like it's really weird that they waited this long to ban Top. Like Top has been good in Legacy and was banned in Extended when Extended was a format because of basically all the same reasons. Um and it's been good in Legacy for almost a, a decade now, right? Like um they they literally wait until two days after they release the invocation counterbalance which is going to be completely unplayable now to ban top. It's just like, how could you have possibly picked now? You waited seven years where there was no expensive promo counterbalance. Boom, promo counterbalance. Oh, PS for banning top. Like, it's just the weirdest timing to ban that card in Legacy. I just wanted to get that one off my chest. That made no sense. Uh, that is true. Like, it, it forced, like, many online stores to be like, yeah, we'll refund you if you pre-ordered counterbalance where we find you the difference in price um so yeah like good on those stores because like literally the only reason why someone would buy this counterbalance is because they're playing legacy miracles or some <laughs> kind of countertop deck so i don't know it's weird um let's do one more thing before the last i'll let rob rant on this at the end but one more thing is uh I'll let you guys think about it while I do mine, which is one card that maybe during your pre-release or playing today that really changed your early first impression or evaluation. For me, I actually, um, after going 3-1 with my first pre-release pack, I opened, I, I won six packs, and then I used those six to make another deck to play against my friend because... In this upcoming weekend, there's the faceofacegames.com Montreal Open, the first ever sealed open. So it's going to be six Amon Kent. I'm going to get more practice in and also 
because the sat is already on MTGO, so I do want to get some more practice just to sharpen my sealed skills. Uh, and in this, in the prizes, I opened Nissa, and maybe again, my friend had the most bonkers exert tech. I, every time I slam Nissa, I it just died really fast because it's just at, at two, goes up to four, and I scry two. But with my friend having those combat tricks and, and those, whether it's evasion, the two two, my favorite guy, the Gus Walker guy, or the red guy that comes into play, you can't block. It just never, I just never found a good spot to stick it. And it just seemed like it feels better when you're ahead where I actually have a presence on board. And this allows me to continue to fuel it. It wasn't a planeswalker where I could like sort of help myself stabilize. So I had to keep that in mind that it wasn't always nuts. Um, so that was my card. Uh, what about you, Rob? Yeah, that's that's because this is just bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just straight up a bad card. Uh, unless you think you're getting to eight mana, and then eight mana for uh, does it untap the five five lands? Maybe if it untaps them. Yeah, it, it, it untaps. I think. Yeah, that's what it is. It's eight mana for a, a ten ten flying uh, haste. If that's if that's a card you would play in your deck, then it's probably fine. If that's a card your deck can't play, then uh, I don't think it's uh, it's very good. It's, I, I, it's doing something. It's not doing something great. <laughs> I actually feel like my my opponent could have my friend could have killed me faster in all the games if. He even just ignored Nissa, I think. Like, yeah, if he just sure. attacks me instead of, like, letting it sort of pseudo-fog. I mean, you have to have a... I, I guess if you keep, like, top-top, then I'm looking to deal at least one point of damage to it to try and, like, throw you off. The card is just, like, such weird... It encourages such weird play patterns, right? Because if you, like, put it down for three, and you plus it to five, and then, like, what are you going to top? If they can do two damage to it, you have to keep, like, a three-drop or less on there, right? Um, or else, like, you might not be able to hit it. So, and if they do a surprise damage, then what are you going to do? You're going to, like, scry again? Like, uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know. The card's, <laughs> the card's kind of meh. Um, let's see. Card that I thought was uh, very good. I think that the blue cartouche was a lot better uh, than I thought it was going to be. Um, and the inspiration... Uh, was also a lot better than I thought it was going to be. The inspiration was really, really good, and I had it in a green-blue deck uh, with the blue cartouche as well, where I had, like, the, um, I don't know what it is, whatever, like, the Gear Seeker Serpent of the set is, for instance, in Sorceries. So I was able to, like, cycle that uh, Hieroglyph card uh, early if I needed lands, or late to get extra cards, uh, which all made the 6-5 cheaper. Um, so I, I really feel like that engine is there, where that card's, like, very versatile and enables a bunch of other uh, useful strategies like the, the two three minotaur that like uh does damage and stuff like that it's just like you can get instants and sorceries in your graveyard cheaply without disrupting um deploying your threats on important turns like two and three uh that allow you to like you know do something useful with these other more powerful cards um on curve so i, I thought i thought that card was really good and the cartouche was just like very good just suiting up a like a what is it like a colossipede or whatever it's called uh drawing a card and getting in for six flying damage was uh, very, very difficult to beat. Uh, in terms of rares, I think a card that I thought would have been close to unplayable seemed to be very good in sealed. I'm kind of curious how it's going to play out in draft. But there, uh, what's the name of it? It's an eight drop in green. Uh, Convergence of the Sandworms or something like that. Um, I had it in my pool. Every time I cast it, I basically auto won. 
And I played against uh, the opponent I drew with, actually, uh, at the second pre-release I did. He had two of them and a bunch of ramp spells in his deck. And every time he cast one, I just couldn't, I couldn't win. Like, my blue deck had flyers in it, but they're all dead now. And, like, none of my creatures are big enough to fight through an army of five fives. So I feel like that card uh, is probably the real deal, at least in sealed. And I'm curious to see how it plays out in drafts, because it seems like uh, it is very close to an auto win. Uh, when it when it hits the table, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting card. So eight drops happen to be pretty good at winning the game and limited when you cast them. Well, sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's not like a. I mean, if it was just like a six six flyer or like a a ten ten trampler or something, this is like something you can deal with, right? This is like an infinite series of five fives, and yeah. your five can't attack. So it's like you're just doing nothing. Um, and and the, the set goes long. Like, if you look at other eight drops that they've printed, like Ulamog's Crusher or whatever, like Garden Hellkite, stuff like this, the card is like a lot more uh, powerful. Uh, Gristlebrand. Right? Which? Gristlebrand, Crater Hoof Behemoth. You wow. know, eight drops, I mean, whatever. Crater Hoof Behemoth doesn't kill you like all the time. This card. What? It doesn't, it doesn't kill you all the time. You have to have a board presence. If you don't have a board presence, you're not doing anything. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Because sure. a lot of the times, it's like not a guaranteed win. This felt like a, I didn't see anyone ever beat this card when it hit the battlefield. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That's so fair. it's like very, very high ceiling. Um, I agree with you, uh, Rob. I had in this like Nissa deck that was way too slow, but every time I drew this card, my friend just scooped uh, immediately. But I, I think my feeling is the same as yours. I think it's likely too slow in draft. That's my early impressions. Uh, Vince, what about you? What what cards really uh, changed for you? Uh, one that surprised me quite a bit was actually our preview common card. Bory Holler does work. No, I'm serious. <laughs> that card is good in this format. Like, I was not expecting it to have... It has a target often, like very often in the green decks. Um, and it's good, like, against your opponent's other green and black decks. Um, like, there's, there's, I had a game, I had the rare 3-4, I can't remember what it's called. It's a rare 3-4, it comes to play, you put three minus one minus one counters on a guy, and it, it taps for Rainbow Man and grows up to a 3-4. Channel or something. Yeah. yeah, channel or initiate. Okay, so I had that guy, and I had the uncommon 4-4 that starts as a 1-1 and can game. Oh, one. Okay. Yeah, so my, I was like, my deck's insane, like, I got this, right? So I play one, I, I play the 4-4 that's a 1-1 on turn three, my opponent goes, Corey Hall, kill your guy. I'm like, okay, whatever, nice. What? Wow. What, a luck, what a lucky guy, right? Like, obviously had it. Like, it's all good. I have this other one. I play that one. He untaps. Tory Holler, kill your guy. I'm like, how do I ever win? You just played two green FTKs in limited. Like, I, it was insane. It was just ludicrous. And I was like, maybe I've, maybe I've misunderstood how good this card is, or maybe it was just bad beats. So I played it in a seal this morning in a green-black deck, and it was just insane. Like, it was just really good. Its body is decent for the price. And if you're getting any value off the card, it's just like, you're, you're ahead. You're always ahead. Hard yeah, I had this card in both, all three of my pools, actually, and it, it's good. The fact that even, like, in your green-black decks, you can remove a minus one, minus one counter from one yeah. of your guys it, is good. And also, yeah, it snipes a lot of stuff um, yeah. uh, in the green-black uh, mirror or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think the card is 
Definitely the real limited deal. Um, I will note that I've opened three, at least three Pyramid of the Pantheons so far. And one of them has been foil. So, Oh, my God. I'm ready to start testing <laughs> in real life. I've done some digital testing, and uh, I think maybe the deck is not good. But we'll, we'll see. I'll put another hour into it. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be there. I think... Uh... One other card that I was like, I thought was pretty unassuming at first, but it's actually like very, very good, is the black two drop, the one one that makes a zombie when it dies. Um, it's just like an engine for the green black deck. Like you, it, it just makes your green black deck so much better when you have that card. Just being able to dump all of your like four fives that come in with two counters for three or your four four for two and just, just grow your guy while still having a four four that didn't get shrunk by its own counters is just like, it's very tough to come back from. So when you're drafting the green-black deck, actively look for that card because it's, it's going to be really good in your decks. Huh. I love it. I love how this is like the second set in a row that Vince offers a guy that's like gr- that doesn't look that great on its own. It's <laughs> very key to an archetype. I promise you, I will bet any... Anyone that this card is significantly better than the last two drop I hype. The That's two- obviously clear. That's a bet that no one would take. <laughs> this one looks really I good. I want you to make a bet where you're going to promise that this card is as good as what you said uh, the automaton was. <laughs> no, no, no. I refuse. So, so the problem wasn't that automaton was bad. Uh, the problem was that the green white deck was bad. The revolt deck was bad. So this just means that the green black deck is bad. So oh, it's like that's the information we've gained, right? <laughs> Sorry, the two drop we're referring to is it's a two mana one one human, and when it dies, you make it two two zombie. Yeah, just to clarify for the chat, doomed dissenter, and I, I was wondering how what because I was wondering what cards I wanted for to make cards like Soul Stinger better, right? It's the four five for four mana and black that when it comes to play, it puts two minus one minus one counters on target creature you control. So it goes really well with that. Get a nice beefy 4-5 on turn 4, and you turn your 1-1 one, one into a 2-2, two, two, which is more than fine. So, yeah, definitely going to be drafting this card um, for sure. Okay, on to the final, final topic, which is, uh, which is something we should have talked about, I guess, last episode, or actually maybe it was announced in the middle of last week, which is that Iconic Masters is going to be at Hascon, and I think it's going to be released at November 17th, but they're revealing it for the first time at Hascon, which is Hasbro's first ever convention, September 8th to 10th, that weekend at Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, Rob just wanted to have a little rant, um, kind of like a little side deck and a little main board here. (laughs) This is a really weird release for them, right? Because they're announcing it outside of their normal... Uh, announcement schedule and it wasn't in the original plan like for the year or anything and it's not like anyone would really care that this is coming out so the fact that they've announced it after uh, I'm just gonna put my tinfoil hat on right <laughs> do a little conspiracy theory just to get uh, to get everyone fired up it's just it's very suspicious like we've already had a modern masters release this year uh, or a master set release rather um, they've moved the pro tour around and worlds around to accommodate this set uh, to live 
like in the back half of the year. It's like almost the latest time that you could possibly release something uh, in the year. Um, and then also Commander's coming out uh, somewhere around that time too, right? So like the fall and like late, or I guess just before Christmas or whatever, is really like jam-packed with a bunch of stuff. And I feel like this is a set that's very easy to produce. You just like grab all of the best angels, dragons, demons, hydras, and sphinxes. You put them all in the rare slot, and then you just like put a bunch of cards that cares about those cards um, in the uncommon and common stuff, right? So from a development perspective, it's like pretty easy to do, and it doesn't like require any. There's like going to be no new cards in it, right? So I feel like they uh, just created this set uh, on the fly. It was unplanned for 2017, and they're trying to compensate for, uh, I guess, a downturn in overall sales from tournament magic and regular magic sets throughout this year. And that's why it's coming out at Hascon, and that's why it's coming out at the end of the year. In a a year where they've already released a master's set. (laughs) Like, how much fleecing can the community take from all of this stuff, right? Um, and I think it's also being charged as a premium product, right? It's like a $10 or $12 pack or something, which is like, very, I just don't understand how these cards are going to be worth that. It's just like, I don't think that uh, the set can demand that kind of value. There's not like a $100 angels or whatever. So it's kind of weird. Um, so I think uh, R&D is feeling the pressure to produce uh, good financial results. And this was their answer. And I think that if this trend continues, this is bad. Uh, overall for magic so if i'm correct i am very disappointed uh that this was their solution instead of just fixing uh the stupid mistakes they've made in standard so that people will actually come back into the stores and start playing the game again um yeah i don't know stuff like this is is questionable and i don't think it's a good precedent to set i don't think we want to see two master sets a year with a commander release and a bunch of other garbage going on i mean like, look at what's already happening in terms of our response to this set, right? I mean, this is what happens when you release all of these master sets so often and you expect people to pay $30 to draft it. Like, people are going to stop caring, and this is a cash cow you can't milk forever. Uh, I think you're, you're pretty bang on here. Like, this is, this is not something we want to see Wizards doing repeatedly. It's, they, they, they're already making enough money off each individual Magic player. I don't think this is how they incentivize magic players to spend more money by just jamming ten dollar packs down down our throats um i i'm I'm in agreement with you that this is a a very scary precedent wizards is trying to set and one that hopefully doesn't work out for them this time so they stop doing it but we'll see i agree if this doesn't work out for them this time though then probably someone's head is gonna get chopped yeah (laughs) and it'll be someone we interact with on a daily basis (laughs) on twitter for example so uh hopefully they get their their stuff together i think they're not in a great spot for 2017 um i don't think this is the solution to their problem (laughs) just just like sucking money out of the casual community (laughs) in hopes that it like solves their financial woes i feel uh which is kind of like the toss they're throwing to the pro community to fix their banning mistakes so yeah I, i don't know too much reliance on the community to fix their problems just do the right thing and do a better job, I guess. Yeah, that's all. It's easy. Not that hard. <laughs> I love all these conspiracy theories, like uh, the one, the one of like making MTGO suck so that like once they switch it up, people will like won't complain as much. 
I also like that one a lot. That's it's, it's a nice one. <laughs> so ac- accidental benefit to their design principles. <laughs> and there's been there's been a lot. On, I don't know what caused the conspiracy theory stuff, but I've been seeing a lot. Of, it's getting popular on YouTube. Like I've been seeing hashtag Flat Earth and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean that that's Shaq's fault. He was trolling everyone. And then people just went off on it, and now it's like a popular idea to talk about. <laughs> I, I mean, coming back to what this podcast is about, um, I think the magic conspiracies, especially the ones related to MTGO, are just like, there's no possible way that there's not something weird going on to justify them not fixing Moto after so long. Like, I think people just need an answer. They just need something to hold on to that, like keeps them their sanity right because they're like why is this client so bad and it makes them so much money and yet they do nothing about it there has to be a reason right like this is a functioning company they can't just be doing this and be satisfied there has to be something else so i think that's why there's all these like moto doesn't work because they need paper to make money and they don't want everyone to go to moto or moto doesn't work because they want people to be satisfied with the next crappy product they release like people just need something to hold on to I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, well, this was a great week. <laughs> <laughs> I keep looking at Corey Holler, and I thought, too bad it's not constructed playable. I thought a cool playset would be like a cool altered playset would be like on each each camel, like one of us is riding on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. New plan. Get the right, KYT just for you. I will try one deck that has four quarry holler in it in standard and see if it's How? not garbage. How? It will have to revolve around planeswalkers in some way. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll what? see. This I didn't say it was going to be good, so I was going to try. Okay, I, did, I guess I'll give you one. I'll give you one effort. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was a solid card for its stats, like four three for four. But Vince has convinced me like it. How? No, cartouche of ambition. It's like a solid card. Plus one, plus one lifelink. Minus one, minus one. To be to have another thing to make it like so that you can kill something to two two or make it even weaker. I think it's super awesome. Um, so that's it for this episode. Um, any last word, guys? From you guys. This nope. set's great. Play it. I, I hope I'm happier next week after I've started testing and drafting. If I'm grumpier than I am this week. They've done some real bad stuff. <laughs> also, if, uh, if you guys want some pretty seriously, like, insanely in-depth content about uh, Amonkhet Unlimited, join the nation. It's going to be, like, many hours of videos produced on this topic. So stay yeah, tuned. Yeah, and, you, like, the benefit is really that, like, you can interact with the people making that content on a direct basis, right? So you're confused about why we said something, or if we said something stupid, you can clarify that comment directly to us and we'll respond. Uh, and and we'll, we'll keep that information updated as well, right? So um, I know that both myself and Vince draft a lot. Uh, car drafts quite a bit too. Um, and we have a lot of people that are in the group that are, that are good, very good, in fact, and also play a lot of limited. So there's a lot of good discussion to be had there. And it's going to be ramping up real soon now that... Uh, we actually can do something useful with that info. Whereas like both standard, modern and Kaladesh limited were all stale since GP New Jersey. 
<laughs> so uh, they're not really, Watson's well, not really helping us there, but uh, now we got some new information so we can produce some new content. Right. So uh, finish by sh- the show by shouting out to our First Strike producers. Uh, the show couldn't be possible. All the content wouldn't be possible without you guys, Kyle Smirchik, D- Derek Pite, Adrian Murchison, Isaiah Carrero. Like, you guys are awesome. And obviously some of them that would like would prefer to remain anonymous. But all of you guys are super awesome. So, again, like these guys said, check out patreon.com slash First Strike. Especially since it's on MTGO early now, we might see some early boosts from, from Rob. We're going to continue to uh, improve our sideboarding guide library that we have for standard and modern. And then, of course, Vince with, with Limited, we got me and Brian that might do a lot more constructed content. So looking forward to producing that and sharing it with our First Strike Nation. So with that, we'll see you next week. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a thumbs up on the YouTube or, and leave a comment or whatever. So see you guys next week. We'll be